Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Welcome to another GeoMob podcast. This morning, we've got something a little bit different for you. It's not specifically geo-related, but hopefully it's going to be useful to all of our listeners and particularly those who are running their own businesses or considering raising funding for growth and even for those who are not yet started on the journey but would like to learn a little bit about it. Uh, Welcome this morning to Will Martin, who's a long-term investor in startups in the UK and a co-founder of Portfolio Ventures. Portfolio Ventures invest and support UK-based companies run by, they claim, outstanding founders. They raise pre-seed to Series A rounds, and they operate in big markets with clear competitive advantages or defensible technology. Um, Most of their investments have been in fintech, insurtech, SaaS and enterprise software, but they've also invested in a few geo startups that, um, and some of which I've co-invested with them in. So uh, we have some shared investments, which I think we both would disclose right at the beginning of this. So, Will, welcome to the GeoMob podcast. We're really grateful for your time this morning. Um, introduce yourself and Portfolio Ventures and tell our listeners how you got into early stage investment. Thanks very much, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Um, so I got into venture um, back in 2009, um, and it really was by accident. Um, I uh, had been working in advertising uh, and also been working for a small food company. And one of my friends said, oh, do you want to go and um, help my brother out? Um, who was looking for someone to man the phones. So my first foray into venture was working at Angel Investment Network. Um, We set up a small brokerage there in 2010 called AIN Scout, which I ran for um, about three years. Um, We raised about £20 million for 100 companies across really broad range of sectors. And at the time, you know, there was a lot of excitement around vertical e-commerce and direct-to-consumer tech companies. So we we did a lot of our tech investing was around that space. Um, But, uh, you know, the SaaS and fintech scenes were were growing really fast. We saw um, Barclays sponsor a fintech-specialized program called um, you know Barclays Techstars Um, and you know there were a number of VCs who really started to invest heavily into into SaaS and fintech Um, and uh, yeah that really kind of got really sort of started to pique my interest um, which is uh, what led us to to start up Portfolio Ventures in 2014. Right so um what are you doing at Portfolio Ventures? What's special about Portfolio Ventures? So, uh, as I was saying, you know, it, it, seeing this, uh, the UK and London specifically, um, developing some really unbelievable SaaS and fintech companies, um, we wanted to set up Portfolio Ventures to get more involved in those spaces. 
we also noticed that there was a funding gap that companies were having to cross between early stage or shall we say pre-seed SEIS rounds and series A rounds, essentially having to go from angel investors to uh, VC investment. So um, bearing all of that in mind, we launched Portfolio Ventures in October 2014. Um, and until last year, we have been exclusively raising investment for our clients through our network of 1500 investors. Um, my co-founder, Will Brooks, and I have also been investing alongside our investors as well since 2016. Uh, and last year, um, off the back of some decent successes in our own personal portfolios and also seeing some some of our client companies go on to raise very significant rounds, uh, including Marshmallow becoming a, a unicorn bought by many and Tractable also uh, becoming unicorns as well we decided to raise a fund. So we set up an EIS fund structure. Uh, and last year, we closed our first fund of 2.2 million, which we're investing at the moment. Fantastic. Um, and all in UK companies. So it, from the fund's perspective, it's all been in UK companies because we are an EIS, EIS fund. Mm -hmm. And uh, to qualify, you know, companies must have a permanent base or, or in the UK at the very least. And actually, we think that um, it, it's just much easier for us to focus on, on UK companies only. We have worked with European and US companies in the past to help them raise funding. Um, but they've been, you know, it, it, it's, it's been less than 10, shall we say. Right. OK. So there's loads of sort of domain-specific terminology here. And uh, I think we need to start for the benefit of people who are new to raising funding. We need to start demystifying some of this te te terminology. So explain what are the various stages of investment um, and how a company would move from one stage to the next stage. Okay, it's a good question. So the terminology seems to change a lot um, and is sometimes linked to the amount of money being raised. It's sometimes linked to the stage of development of the, co of the company. Um, so the terminology that I use might be different to someone else. Uh, and also there might be a difference between the terminology used in the UK, for example, and that that's used in the States. But based on what we're seeing and what we're investing in, the terminology that we tend to use is something as follows. So uh, you have a friends and family um, or sometimes called angel rounds um, and also pre-seed rounds, which could largely be defined as the same thing. So this is first money that goes in and it's used to develop an early product or an MVP. Anything that comes after that um, is is a seed round, um, uh, but it could be described as uh, a second seed or a late seed. Um, and the seed rounds will come from, the, the funding will come from angel investors again, uh, friends and family uh, reinvesting, 
but it's also going to come probably going to start coming from funds and family offices as well your seed round is used for continual product development uh, and it will you really want founders really want to start building out their team for example bringing in salespeople to join uh you know technical founders uh, and then from that point once a company really has proven out the product market fit uh they're going to want to start bringing in some growth capital and this usually starts at around a series a and that's when you're shifting away from um focusing primarily on technical product development and really starting to look at the commercial development of a business gotcha uh, and most of the time uh, a series a round will be led by a vc fund right and one more pair of terms that people hear a lot of are EIS and SEIS. Um, just for the benefit of the audience, can you just explain the difference between those two as well? Because they apply across all of this, these different stages, don't they? Yes, they do. Um, so EIS and S, well, EIS was introduced to the UK in the 1990s uh, uh, as a mechanism for early stage or angel investors to support uh, young companies. It's now um, gone through many stages of iterated many times and it is now uh, exclusively for supporting knowledge intensive companies, i.e. tech companies. Um, that are building technical products um, are very early stage. So less than 200, um, I think it's less than 250 headcount, uh, assets of less than 2 million, um, and companies can raise up to a million of EIS funding. Now, the benefits of EIS funding to um, investors are unbelievable. So first of all, um, a UK taxpayer will receive um, a 30% managed to claim back 30% of the value of their investment against their income tax bill for that year. And if they hold the shares for more than three years, um, they don't pay any capital gains tax on uh, returns that they make once those shares are sold. So it really is uh, very beneficial to investors. SEIS was brought in a lot um uh about about 10 years ago and this is seis was to brought in to help very very early stage companies so going back to how we were describing rounds this is kind of at the pre-seed level um uh and companies can raise up to 150,000. and for investors instead of receiving a 30 percent um uh, 30% relief on your income tax bill, it's a 50% relief and you also don't pay any capital gains tax. Um, so these both SEIS and EIS have really shaped uh, the UK investment scene quite considerably and have introduced a number of um, angel investors to the space and freed up an awful lot of capital for founders to access. And have helped companies be able to bridge that gap between friends and family rounds through to 
uh, getting VCs involved at Series A. So, you know, going back to when we started up Portfolio Ventures, it was about finding those investors who were interested in EIS qualifying investments and introducing them to companies who weren't quite ready for a, uh, a VC-led Series A round um, and matching the two together. I have to say, as a, uh, as a long-term angel investor, I always say that you shouldn't be investing just because you can get tax relief. Um, and that you need to make your judgments based on the companies being good companies. But on the other hand, I have to say that when you're looking at an investment and thinking that a third of the capital cost of that investment is going to come back to you, assuming you're, you're a taxpayer, obviously, um, it does make it much more attractive. And uh, it certainly has encouraged me to be more, to take more risk than I might have taken otherwise. So uh, it really has worked for the London, for the UK investment scene i think yeah and i totally agree with you investing for the sake of a tax break is the wrong way to approach it um you know as an investor you want to be investing in companies that you believe are going to generate a significant return for you uh what it has done in the uk is if you come across a you know if investors come across a company that uh, could be EIS qualifying, but is not, or has not, you know, uh, is not going to go through the process of applying to HMRC, then that could be uh, a bit of a red flag against against that company. So I would advise all founders, you know, if you are thinking about raising a round, to put in an application to HMRC for EIS advanced assurance. You know, there are plenty of people that can help out with that. Uh, solicitors, accountants, for example, and there are also some really great um, specialist EIS consultants who uh, can help companies through that process. Yeah, and it's pretty, and it's pretty straightforward. In fact, I mean, it's, most it's, yeah. if you're a tech business um, and you fill in the forms correctly, you're likely to get that approval. Absolutely, it's it is relatively straightforward. It just takes a bit of time and a little bit of a little bit of planning. Yeah. Um, so if you are a founder who is uh, looking to raise an EIS qualifying round uh, and you are looking for EIS advanced assurance, it's probably going to take you somewhere between four and six weeks to get advanced assurance back from HMRC. So just make sure you give yourself plenty of time to do it. Okay. So let's switch back to the founders um, where we we wanted to focus and run me through the investment process from when a founder first approaches you through to the final stage where you complete the funding round. I will talk about this from the um, point of view of us investing as a fund, um, which is where we are now spending the vast majority of our time. Um, so we receive deal flow from uh all manner of different sources you know we try and build relationships with founders from the very early days of their business and um you know understand their you know get to understand what their funding needs are so that when it does come to the to them raising around you know we, we we're best positioned to make um good decisions on it so uh the first thing that we like to see is a presentation um 
I could talk for hours on what makes a really good uh, <laughs> investment presentation, but you know, 10 to 20 slides, keep it very visual. Don't overwhelm the reader with lots of copy um, would be my, would be my starting point for uh, investment presentations. Then uh, once we've had a look through that um, and got a good understanding of the, of the team and the product, et cetera, we then uh, set up a call with the founders to, to go through various aspects and, and satisfy ourselves that this is something that we want to take forward. Uh, and then we go into a due diligence process. Um, this is all of the standard things that any VC wants to look at. So we'll go through um, cap table, understanding the shareholders that are involved. Uh, we want to look through the financials, both both the historical uh, and the projected. You know, very keen to look at a company's balance sheet uh, at the point of us making an investment. Um, we will also want to, if, if the company has got to a position where they do have commercial contracts um, with clients, we want to understand what those contracts are. Um, and, uh, and then, and then we, we're looking at, uh, a big thing for us is looking at who is also, who, who are we going to be co-investing with? Um, so that helps us really build a picture of, of the business. Uh, at which point we make uh, we make an offer to to invest. Um, the point, everything after that point, is um, I, I cannot give you a time estimation because there are so many different variables that come into play. Uh, but from our position, from meeting a company and making an offer to invest can be around about two to three weeks. Wow, that's fast. I think you have to be quite fast these days, but uh, you know it's it they, things things in venture are moving very quickly, and to get into rounds, um, you do have to make you know quick decisions. So, would you only invest in companies that have at least uh, an MVP? No, um, so we will invest pre-seed, uh, and in fact. We're getting more and more interested in pre-seed rounds from uh, the perspective of the fund investments. Uh, what we are looking for when we look at, um, you know, when we're looking at a uh, a pre-seed round is, um, you know, who, who are we going to be co-investing with? Who, you know, what what is the team? And uh, you know, do we think these are the right people to take take the business forward? That's those are the kind of key considerations, really. Okay, so let's talk money for a minute. Um, an angel round is how big? So, uh, if we're talking about friends and family and angel rounds, that can be, you know, up to uh, one hundred and fifty thousand. Usually covers off the SEIS. Uh, allowance, uh, right? The, F the SEIS allowance, exactly. Um, then we're looking at pre-seed rounds. So this could involve um, early stage funds. Um, it's definitely going to involve angel investors, and that can be anything up to five hundred or seven hundred and fifty thousand. 
then looking at seed rounds, a seed round can be 500K to a couple of million. A late seed round is going to be one and a half million to three million. And then series A is anything over two million. Uh, and I would say that a proper series A round is going to be around the five million mark. And a proper series A round is professional investment. It's it's VCs. Yes, it's going to be led... or maybe a large private a family office. Exactly. So yeah. it's going to be led by a significant uh, institutional investor, either a VC, as you say, a family office, or a corporate corporate venture arm. Right. So you exist in that space from probably pre-seed through seed. Yeah. And and maybe late seed. Yeah, so we would we're pre-seed seed uh, and late seed. We have invested in a couple of Series A rounds, um, but really our, our, our focus is on those seed rounds. Okay, and so how many investors are there in the Portfolio Ventures Network? So um, we've built it up to fifteen hundred investors. Uh, about half of our investors are angels. Um, about 800 are angels. And then um, the, re- the rest of investors are funds, family offices, and, and corporate venture groups. Um, most of them are based in the UK, although we do have an increasing number from Europe who are looking to access UK deal flow. Right. Okay. That's a lot of people you've got. So when a company comes to you, um, and they're looking to raise funding, mm. uh, you can be the answer to their problem. Yes, um, we can. Uh, so when when the, we make an investment from our fund, we also, if there is the opportunity, you know, if the company requires, uh, needs to find some further investment, uh, we can go out to our network of investors um, and bring in more co-investors to the round. And so that that process, which is what we've been doing since 2014, pretty tried and tri- tried and tested, well-oiled machine now, is um, of our 1,500 investors, we'll pick out um, a, a group of say between 100 and 150 that we think are the best fit, and that's going to be based on um, the type of investor that the company is looking for. Um, where they're based, their sectors of interest, where they can add strategic value uh, and the rounds that they'd like to get involved in. Uh, and we will then, you know, once that list is, we'll go through the list with the founders to make sure that we're not duplicating any efforts before sending out uh, an email, um, sharing presentations and cap tables and so on, and then putting the two parties together. And um uh, uh, and, and letting letting them come to an investment decision. So, if you're a founder, this must be a massive time saving. Huge. Um, so, our when we set up Portfolio Ventures, it was really about helping companies deal with the top of the funnel um, of investors. Uh, we so the first thing that we do is we're able to distill down from 1500 investors to as i say about 100 to 150 who are going to be a good fit they might not 
all really like what a particular company is doing, but we know that it's going to be in their space. Yeah. And from a hundred people, we would expect to send out say 30 presentations. And from that we would get, you know, 10 meetings. And from the 10 meetings, we would be able to fill around. Fantastic. Um, and I have to say, um, as someone who's worked with you for quite a while now, um, I know that that process works well, both for the investor and for the founder. And I've also been an investor in startups where the founders have spent nearly half of their working time raising funding Mm. because they go from one round to the, you know, they raise a round and they've now got 12 months of runway or 15 months of runway. Mm. Six months later, they've got to start thinking about how they're going to get the next round in because it's going to be a bigger round and everything. So it really does help to have somebody like you help who can take some of that load off them. Yeah. So everyone says they want smart investors. Um, I'm not sure that I actually uh, go along with that, Will. But tell me why you think um, what smart investors can contribute um, and whether you see real benefits to having smart investors. Yeah, I think without doubt there are huge benefits. Um, I also think you're right that not every investor needs to be a smart investor in every round that they invest in because people just don't have the time you know the time to to dedicate to take an active role in every company they invest into um but we know that you know we've introduced investors to to rounds who have gone on to become advisors neds and in a few cases you know taken non-exec chair roles as well um I think it's worth caveating that going out to investors and only considering people that can be of strategic value, it does start to narrow your pool of investors. And while some one investor on paper might be a great strategic match, um, they might not be a great personal fit uh for the founders so i think that um if founders and investors you know, want to be engaging with each other on an investment basis first and if the relationship is working really well that's the point when the founders want to start bringing investors into the business more actively probably initially as a, as a as a mentor uh, uh and then you know progressing through to board advisor, non-exec, and ultimately, you know, potentially becoming a chair. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, having been uh, an angel investor for sort of 12 years now, I think the number of times that I've heard uh, founders say that they want smart investors, people who can contribute to the business more than money. Um, but the reality is once the, once they've got the money, um, to be a founder, you have to have a certain driven character. You have to have a lot of self-belief. And at that stage, asking your investors for advice isn't something that comes, sort of sits naturally with that. But um, on the other hand, I know that I've, you know, I've introduced, you know, 
you know, if you're an investor with a big network of your own, of sort of commercial contacts, not necessarily financial contacts, um, that can be a very valuable asset to a, to a startup. I, I think the most value that in, um, investor strategic angels can bring are uh, around um, making introductions to um, commercial partners uh, and clients um and also helping out with the negotiations on the on uh with those partners and clients um i think one of the key areas that uh, strategic angels can help with is hiring um so when a company moves from seed through to into series a they're really going to want to start bringing in a very strong sales team uh making that first initial sales hire can be exceptionally difficult. Um, and it can, you know, if you make the wrong hire, that can set your business back by six months. So having people to lean on to help you with that process, who have gone through that process themselves, can be enormously beneficial. Yeah, I agree with that, definitely. And I also think... Um... From my own experience, uh, whenever I invest in a in a startup, I always say to them that communicating with your investors, both the good news and the bad news, is really important. Because if you only communicate good news, when the bad news comes along, it's a complete surprise and investors then lose confidence. But equally, um, the companies that I've seen do this really well spend 15 minutes once a month reflecting on what's gone on sharing that with their investors and the little things come out like we're looking to hire tell your investors you're looking to hire and you'll get a you may not get a flood but you'll certainly get a flow of suggestions or contacts that might be useful to you so i think it yeah it's a good thing to do yeah so there's a question, all the founders who are sitting, listening to this, learning a little bit about the investment landscape, they're all going to be asking one more question of you, Will. Mm-hmm. I've got my early stage startup. Um, what value should I be raising my various angel and pre-seed rounds at? It's- Another very good question, and it's a very <laughs> difficult question to answer at the moment because things are very fluid. Um, so the way to, uh, I, I think, a, a good rule of thumb for founders is to be offering somewhere around 20% of the fully diluted equity. So, for example, if you're raising a million, you're going to be valuing the business at four million pre-money. Now, um, your business might not be worth five million um post money but what you do need to show is how the million the million that you're raising can be justified so if you are um very early stage you know conceptual business one founder haven't even written a pitch deck you're not in a position to go out and raise a million at four million pre-money if you are uh, a, a you know a, a founding team that has started to build an MVP and you do have some early traction, i.e. there is some product mar- proof of product market fit, then yes, you will be. Able- you can justify raising a million at four million. 
Uh, and likewise, you know, when you come to raise five million at twenty at um, twenty million pre money, you need to be able to justify that you can actually right. raise that and, uh, and and use the funds um, use the funds well. Right, and at some stage, of course, every business has to start making profits mm. and returning to make returns to its shareholders. Yeah, um, yeah, and the higher the valuation the more profits you've got to be able to make at some stage. Yeah, you also don't want to get yourself in a position where you raise um, uh, you raise at such a high valuation and the business doesn't make the progress that you hoped it would. So when you come to raise the next round, you're not able to support an uplift in valuation. And then you have the very tricky decision and very tricky conversation to have with your existing investors um, of doing a down round or, or a flat round, which can make yeah. life very, very difficult. Yeah, good point, good point. So last thing for for our listeners, um, you've invested in hundreds of businesses. You've had some spectacular successes, a couple of unicorns, um, had some that have probably not done so well yeah. as part of the game. Um what advice would you give to small businesses when they start to think about funding? What gets investors excited? Is it the ideas, the people, product, revenue? It's all of those things. Um, but what I will say is that investors want to hear a good story. And if you can sell your story, you're going to have more chance of raising funding. And how can you break down your story? Well, I think you can talk about the five T's. Um, First T, tech. What is the product that you're building and what pro problem is it solving? TAM, total addressable market. How big is the market you are, you are going for? Traction. Are there any proof points or have you generated any proof points that your product actually works? Is there proof of product market fit? Team. Why are you the right team? Uh, to build this product, and why do you have the best chance of winning? And finally, terms. Uh, how much are you raising? What's the valuation? And who else is investing in the round? And if you can bring all of those things together into a co coherent narrative and put it in a very well-presented visual presentation uh, that's you know somewhere between 10 and 20 slides, then you've got a good you've got it you're starting from a good place wow that's a brilliant summary will martin's guide to building a pitch deck <laughs> in five big t's okay well that's been fantastic um if people want to get in touch with you and i'm sure that there will be people who want to get in touch with you what's the best way to get hold of you so you can find me on linkedin um my handle's wjlmartin um, and if you would like to send me an email, hello at portfolio.ventures. Great. We'll put that in the show notes so that people can be in touch. Well, it's been a pleasure having you on the podcast this morning. Thanks very much indeed for your time. Thanks, Stephen. Nice to talk to you. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMR podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any um, suggestions for topics that we should uh, cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. 
while you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. Um, you can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is Geomob. Um, you can follow Steven at Steven Feldman. You can follow me at Freifogel. Um, you can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future Geomop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.